Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So I live in the rurals of Indiana, U.S. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. It's pretty stereotypical a gravel road surrounded by cornfields. All that. It gets pretty spooky at times. Cornfields are creepy at night, and it always sounds like something is running through them. Dark, twisting shadows from trees in our yard. Occasionally weird animal calls. Yada, 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 yada. One time I forgot to feed the outside dogs during the afternoon, so I had to go out back and feed them even though it was dark out. When I turned around, I swear I saw a figure lumber over the peak of the roof behind the chimney, like it was hiding from me. It terrified me, and I sprinted back inside, which actually felt more scary considering I was running the direction of the thing I just thought I saw. But the real story comes from a few weeks before. 
and why that fleeting thought scared me so bad. So bit of backstory, my dog can best be described as a punk. He's a miniature schnauzer, but he thinks he's big and scary. He is fearless to a pretty stupid degree. We had a pack of coyotes walk through our empty field, and I had to sprint and tackle him to stop him from confronting the entire pack, growling and barking the whole way. Same story when he escaped the fence and went for a nearby neighbor's two angry boxers. So animals don't scare my stupid dog, and as I mentioned, he had gotten in the habit of escaping his fence. So one night, it's like 3 a.m., and he wakes me up and is whining and groaning and clearly has to go outside. Well, he had been escaping, and I hadn't fixed the fence, so I hooked a leash on him and went outside. The motion light came on, and I could see it's insanely foggy. The fog was so thick I could barely see the car in the drive, maybe 30 feet from where I was standing. So I was a little unsettled. But I take him out and he does his business and he starts sniffing around. And he kind of was whining like he was smelling something weird and he started circling and being agitated. Well, I thought I'd walk him through the yard to calm him down so I could go back to sleep. Well, like I said, he has never been scared of another animal and his response to seeing anything is run up to it, barking. But he stopped and focused hard, and his breathing started going really fast. But he was standing close by me, not pulling on the leash. I followed his gaze, and I saw this dark figure, bigger than a person, lumbering across the yard. It almost looked like a large person hunched over, maybe on four legs. Maybe not bear-sized, but I've never ever seen a bear anywhere near here. Cornfields and towns between two cities is where I live. No bears. The fact that he was clearly scared and didn't want to engage this thing, mixed with I couldn't tell what it was at all. I ran back inside, and he very happily followed, and he sat down once inside and just looked up at me, whining like he was scared. Single most terrifying experience of my life. I am a park ranger at a sprawling national park, nestled deep in the heart of the wilderness. The park is a beautiful and serene place, where the tranquility is only broken by the rustling of leaves and the occasional call of the wild. But something dark and malevolent lurks within the woods, something that has remained hidden for far too long. One night as I was on patrol, I heard a strange guttural noise coming from the heart of the deep woods. Curiosity peaked. I decided to investigate, but what I encountered was beyond anything I could have imagined. As I ventured deeper into the woods, I came face to face with a massive, unknown predator. Its eyes glinted with a malevolent hunger, and its fur was matted and twisted, as if it had crawled out from the depths of the underworld. It was unlike any animal I had ever seen before, with sharp claws and a massive, muscular frame that dwarfed my own. Before I could even reach for my radio, the creature attacked. It lunged at me with lightning speed, its claws tearing through my uniform and leaving deep, bloody gashes in my flesh. I fought with all my might, using every ounce of my strength and training to fend off the creature, but it was like fighting against an unstoppable force. As I struggled for survival, I began to realize that what I had encountered was far more than just a wild animal. It was a dark, malevolent force, 
something beyond my understanding that had been lurking in the heart of the park for far too long. And even now, as I look back on that fateful night, I can't help but shiver with a mix of fear and excitement, knowing that the dark predator still lurks within the deep woods. Despite my injuries, I managed to escape the clutches of the unknown predator and make my way back to the ranger station. I was shaken, my mind racing with questions about what kind of creature I had encountered. But when I tried to report the incident to my fellow rangers, they dismissed my story as the result of an overactive imagination or a hallucination caused by exhaustion. No one believed me, and the thought of being branded as a lunatic haunted me for weeks to come. Determined to find answers, I began to investigate on my own. I spoke with locals and researched the park's history, and what I discovered sent shivers down my spine. The National Park had a long and bloody history, filled with tales of supernatural sightings and unexplained phenomena. People had reported seeing strange lights and hearing disembodied voices and rumors swirled about dark creatures that prowled the woods. As I dug deeper, I came across an old legend that spoke of a dark entity that had lived within the park for centuries. According to the legend, the entity was a vengeful spirit that had been summoned to the park by ancient rituals and had taken on the form of a monstrous creature to terrorize the living. With a sense of dread gnawing at my gut, I realized that the unknown predator I had encountered was not just a wild animal, but a manifestation of the dark entity that had haunted the park for centuries. I knew I had to act fast to stop the entity from wreaking havoc on the park and its visitors. I armed myself with knowledge and weapons and set out into the deep woods determined to confront the entity and put an end to its reign of terror. The ensuing battle was like nothing I had ever experienced. The entity was powerful, but I was fueled by a mix of fear and determination, and I fought with all my might. In the end, I emerged victorious, having banished the entity back to the depths of the underworld from which it had come. As I emerged from the deep woods, I was greeted with cheers and applause from my fellow rangers. They had witnessed the battle and seen the dark entity vanish before their very eyes, and they were now believers in the supernatural power that lurked within the park. Although I was left with scars from my encounter, I felt a sense of pride and accomplishment. I had saved the park from the dark entity and restored peace to the wilderness. And even now, as I continue to patrol the park, I am constantly vigilant knowing that the unknown predator may return at any moment. My wife and I were traveling to the Smoky Mountains from Ohio on an anniversary getaway. We usually avoid highways in our travels and instead prefer the scenic and slower-paced state routes of my childhood. This trip stood out as quite a disaster as we struggled with both the GPS and paper maps while navigating a route I was at least somewhat familiar with. Navigational errors are not our norm, and we quickly found ourselves having an uncharacteristic argument that got fairly heated, but was nonsensical. It was like we spoke different languages and were looking at different maps. We eventually found ourselves in increasingly less populated areas and poorer road conditions. 
For those not familiar with the area being in central Kentucky, the forest is hilly and expansive, dotted with small towns and the occasional privately owned farm amidst all the federal land. We had eventually quieted down, anxiously following the GPS as it cut in and out. Our anxiety grew until a GPS suddenly chimed in with turn left. Now, I responded by reluctantly starting the turn when my wife suggested it must be a shortcut we were unaware of. Upon completing the turn, I slowed. Seeing the road took a sudden drop in quality. Potholes large enough to get a tire stuck in, overgrown scrub growth on the edges, and ominous gnarled vines hanging down. The hair stood up on my neck as it still does right now as I write it. Bringing the car to a stop, I asked my wife, Are you sure about this? As I looked towards her, No, we need to turn around. She starts to say, but is cut off, almost frozen, staring at her phone. Not in the way a person freezes when terror sends their muscles trembling, but completely motionless. I instinctively slam it in reverse, backing into the position we came so that I could continue the course we were on. As we reached the end of our reverse turn, I slammed it into drive, but went nowhere as the rear of the early 2000s Lincoln is lifted off the ground. Before I can process what is happening, something charged from the woods to our right. At first is, was a large red blob that moved with a speed and grace that seemed unnatural to its grotesque nature. As it closed the gap, it was clear that it was running on all fours, but only partly so. Its forward movement agile, but uneven as it irregularly used its arms with its oddly bent hind legs. It was almost like its limbs were growing as it eventually came to stand on its hind legs and place its hands on the glass. Up close, I could see what I thought was fur seemed more like strands of rotten flesh that grew as thick as a shaggy dog and smelled overhemmingly of rotten fish and moss. Its hands looked nearly human were it not for the rotten fur and long claws. The face sticks with me as much as the smell, being somewhat shaped like a human that has its face twisted and pulled forward in vague canine shape with large pointed ears toward the top of its head. Inside its snarling mouth were long, narrow teeth that looked almost too large to close, but the eyes were the worst part bloodshot and yellow. They leered at my wife with a hunger, the kind of hunger that promises unspeakable things. When you're in a flight or fight situation, you usually get that distinct moment of clarity where you make your choice, even if it's one you're ashamed of. In that moment, I felt like a small dog defending my mate from a rabid wolf. I stomped the gas pedal and bellowed hard, Go now! In a series of loud noises that sounded more like barks than human noises, that it jolted suddenly in the rear of the car drops leading to a loud peel-out. It kept pace with us, scratching at the car and banging on it until we broke 45 miles per hour, driving wildly through the winding country until we saw the lights of a town in the distance. We parked in a well-lit parking lot in the center of town next to a gas station. We busied ourselves as we inspected the car, reluctantly sharing what we thought we saw. She was in tears and sobbing about feeling a pressure in her head and that she was conscious but paralyzed. Looking under the trunk, I spotted a cracked strut and a lump of the rotten flesh dangling from a frame member. 
The smell was still overpowering and sent us into a tear-filled hug as we stared at a piece of the filthy creature and realized it was likely at least two of them. The one in the window and the one that lifted the rear axle of the ground, thoroughly shaken. We sat in the car facing opposite directions and discreetly unpacked our handguns and hid them under our blankets. We waited until nine or so before setting back off towards our destination via highway This actually happened. I'm serious. The only reason why I even tell people is because my friend saw it with me, and we still talk about it to this day. B's 16 or 17 friend came by to tutor me in calculus. About 10 p.m. at night, I let my friend drive my car to his house. He lived out in the outskirts of town, where there is nothing but orchards of almonds. Passed by cattle ranch with lots of lights. Silence in the car. I'm on shotgun and I see a bull running on its two legs like a human. Bull turns its head towards us. Red glowing eyes, bull looks like it's getting ready to spin around, but then evaporates. Look towards my friend and ask him, did you see that? My friend replies, did it look like a bull running on two legs with red glowing eyes and then it disappeared? Yes, I saw that. Well, if it was about ten years ago, my co-worker came in his day off just to tell me that his friend saw the exact same thing six years after the incident. My ex didn't see anything, was on cell phone. 100% true story. It was a cold and cloudy winter evening, and I had just woke up from a nice little power nap. I was tired as usual after every power nap, so I slowly got up and went to the kitchen to get something to eat. I got some food, heated it up, and went to go sit down and watch some YouTube. I sat down and found a video of urban legends on my home page. I was interested, so I clicked on it and watched it. It showed the usual goat man and moth man, but one urban legend caught my eye. A urban legend called the Orange Eyes. I was intrigued and watched it. The video creator said that it was a Bigfoot-type creature. It was tall and had glowing orange eyes. But what I was really surprised about was it was an urban legend from my state. So after I heard that information, I searched up where it supposedly is and found that it was only a 15-minute drive from me. So, like any other adventurous human, I hit up my friend and asked if he wanted to come with me and go look for it. He told me that he doesn't believe in that stuff and it was a waste of time, but I begged him and finally, after a couple of minutes, he agreed. I was really excited. I got dressed and packed some flashlights because it was almost nine. After I was done packing up supplies, I got in my car and had to pick my friend up. When I got there, he didn't look too excited and said that he was tired. He got in the car and we were on our way. I told him the details and what the thing looked like, and he said that. There's no way the thing is real. I told him that it will be fun and that there's probably nothing out there. We got to the road that would take up straight to the area we could get out at to be closer to the forest entrance. While driving down the road, I couldn't help shake the feeling of being watched. But I tried to not notice the feeling and kept heading down to the entrance. We got to the entrance and I handed my buddy a flashlight because it was pitch black outside. I told him if he was ready and he said that he was good. 
So we start the nightmarish journey into the forest of the orange eyes. We walked for a good hour or so with nothing really happening. My buddy said that he was tired and wanted to go back home, but I told him let's stay for two more hours. He agreed and we continued walking. I couldn't shake off the feeling again of being watched. I told my friend if he felt the same way, and he said yeah, ever since we turned onto the road that headed down here, I felt like I was being watched. We both were on edge now as we continued forward, not too long after the feeling of being watched. We hear to our right something being snapped, like if someone or something stepped on a branch. We both jumped at the sound of it and pointed our flashlights over in the direction of the noise, but to our relief it was just a little deer. We joked around with each other about who jumped more at the sound. We did this for a minute or two. We were in the middle of having a little argument when we heard heavy breathing coming from my left. We stopped arguing and listened closely to see if it was what we heard. We heard the heavy breathing like we thought we did. I didn't want to shine my light over there, so I tried to see if I could see anything. Thinking back to it, I wished I didn't look, because what I saw would haunt me for the rest of my life. What I saw standing there behind a tree was ten-foot creatures standing there with one of its eyes peering around the tree. And what shook me down to the core was that its eyes were orangish-red color. At this point, I wanted to pass out from fear, but I stopped that from happening. I looked at my buddy, and I could tell that he saw it, too. I told him that we need to get out of here now before it's too late. We both agreed that we would take off at a dead sprint back to the car. I told him on three, we will go. I started to count, but I couldn't even get to two when felt a warm breath hit the back of my neck. At that point, I screamed run. We kicked it into six gear and ran as fast as we could. As we were running, I heard the tree moving and felt the ground shaking. My lungs were burning from the thin cold air. We ran for what felt like hours until we saw the car. I reached into my pocket for my car key and with one swift movement unlocked the car, opened the door, and turned the car on. I put the car in reverse so fast I felt like I could have been a stuntman for a racing movie. I hit the gas, flung the car around like an action movie. I put the car in drive and floored it down the road, never looking back once. Once we felt like we were a good distance away to ease up a bit. I asked my buddy if he was okay, and he said he was fine. All I did on the drive home was think about how close the creature was to me, for me to feel its breath. I dropped my buddy off and told him to be safe and take care. When I got home, I took everything off, took a shower, and went to bed. The next morning was good. I felt like the day before was just a bad dream, but I realized really soon that it was real because the backpack that I had used to carry my stuff had a big slash in it, probably from the thing or a tree branch. From when we were running away, I called my friend to check if he was all right and continued my day after. By now, I've kind of gotten over it, and my, my friend doesn't think of it anymore. From that experience, I don't want to go to a forest to hike or camp anymore. I hope you take something from this and learn to not be stupid like me and go out to a forest at night. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. I'm a 32-year-old lady from the very northern tip of West Virginia. Most of my life has been lived in Hancock County. When I was little, we camped in tents, walked everywhere, hiked at parks. All that outside goodness. In my teens, we started going to state parks to ride horses. I've been to Thomason Run, Beaver Creek State Park, Salt Fork, Raccoon Creek, and Vista Park. I think that was the name. We had a friend who was constantly inviting us to ride on people's land. She had received permission from... I'm well acquainted with the local wildlife. I've seen all the major players, including koi dogs and bears, and can identify most sounds in the forest. I love watching nature documentaries. I was looking to become a vet, so I studied a lot on animals. Drawing and painting them got me very acquainted with animal anatomy. Was I ever into cryptozoology? Yes, I was a dino-crazy little girl. My one babysitter had readers digest mysteries of the unexplained. The thought of a plesiosaur in Scotland or an apatosaurus in the Congo was just mind-blowing. Later in life, I started looking at it like folklore. It was interesting to read the accounts and learn the theories behind what people were seeing, but I believed in them as much as a folklorist believes in dragons and trolls. I didn't have any interest in Bigfoot, and I'd never heard of Dogman. I never had interest in looking, nor did the thoughts ever cross my mind. It seems I didn't need to go looking. They found me. We moved to the farm when I was about ten. Mom's dream was to have horses, and she was finally able to live it. The farmhouse was haunted, mainly by the former residents of the house. I never felt threatened by them, though. It's a little unnerving to have two men talking and moving the couch you're sitting on. Or should I say, it sounded like it. No one was home. No media was on. And yet I was hearing two men talking about how they were going to move the couch, and where and the sound of furniture being dragged right from under me. The land itself had its share of strangeness. Most things were benign, though. We just shrugged and carried on. I honestly hated our woods. Anywhere else, I'd freely hike, but even in the yard, sometimes I felt watched. Heck, sometimes I thought something was staring in our windows. Now that I think of it, we did have things slam into our trailer. I'd think it was a horse that had gotten loose, but when I'd go out to investigate, I'd find nothing. I'd chalk it up to a deer. I used my horses' breeds for their names rather than think up names for them. Anyone who knows me knew my horses' names. I was 18 to 19 in this encounter. By this time, we gave up on cows. I hate, hate, hate them, and just had the horses and chickens. Someone knocked on the door at 2 a.m. I'd only been asleep two hours, but years of conditioning had my heart pumping and my mind clearing. Someone knocking that early meant trouble. It usually meant horses or livestock had gotten out. 
I wasn't disappointed. Our neighbor said the horses were in his yard. My mind wasn't totally awake, so I didn't think to ask which yard they were in. My stepfather came out, asked what was up, and told me they were my horses, so deal with it. Mom was working. That was nothing new. This lot of horses had three expert escape artists. I had the routine down. It was pretty dark out, but I did have some moonlight to help. The security light only went so far. Then, of course, it shut off after so long. When it was cloudy, you literally had to watch that you didn't walk off into the ravine. It was so pitch. I was naturally in a foul mood, cursing my horses and wondering if some drunk had gone through the fence again. It happened a lot. As I got closer to the brown barn, I realized a horse was flipping out. It was running back and forth, squealing and carrying on. I went in and grabbed the halters and leads. I paused for a moment to see if any other horse or horses had replied to the horse I heard squeal. That would give me an idea where the other horse or horses might be. There was no reply. That was odd. I was thinking, crap. They're on the other side of the hill. It was the only reason in my mind they wouldn't be replying. Let's just say when they followed our cut trails to the other side, it took us an hour to traverse through the woods and lead them back. And even with two guys on a four-wheeler and my mom, that was a freaky trick. I felt like I was being watched and followed. Maybe it wasn't paranoia. So, the land is set up like this. The brown barn was connected to a small pasture, about half an acre long, which then connects to a seven-acre pasture. Pretty much in the center on the outside edge of the large pasture was an old white barn that we turned into a running in. I decided to tackle the horse still in the fence so I could bring her down to the small pasture to keep her from escaping, too. Maybe the others would follow. I had to walk clear to the other side of the pasture to get to the panicking horse. It was my mother's psycho Appaloosa mare. I tried to catch her and nearly got trampled a few times trying. She was frothing at the mouth and her eye whites were really showing. Was I alarmed? No. As I said, psycho, I noticed my other six were across the road. They were standing in a tiny little fence, in area under a spotlight. They were standing motionless, not touching a blade of grass. I was wondering how the neighbor managed to herd them into that tiny fenced-in area with that tiny door. Three of those horses were over sixteen hands tall. One was a draft horse cross. The doorway was actually small enough. He touched both sides going through. My thoroughbred mare took me two hours to corral the last time she got out. Much to my frustration, she was an awesome jumper. So a stranger rounding them up and putting them into a tiny yard was mind-blowing. I've had horses since I was nine. I'm thirty. Two now. I've had ponies and horses. I've had Appaloosas, Arabians, draft horses, quarter horses, walking horses, saddlebreds, thoroughbreds, mustangs, foals, geldings, mares, and geldings that still thought they were stallions. I've had a lot of horses from all walks of life. I will tell you they consistently do not like to be crammed into tight spaces, especially not in a group. I had two severely abused horses. I was rehabbing a thoroughbred that actually had PTSD in a racking horse. 
that actually took me three years to touch without some sort of a bad reaction. They did not like being in stalls, and all but one were mares. Mares are extremely moody, and two of mine were particularly vicious to those they didn't like. My walker mare only liked three other horses. She should have been kicking the crap out of the others there. Mine also didn't like to be under lights when they escaped. They avoided them like the plague, and not eating grass that was over ankle deep. That was unheard of. They were silent and dead still. My neighbor came out and told me that they were like that when he found them. He asked me if I needed help, but I said no. My thoroughbred and racking horse mares did not like men. I told him I'd take them out, one at a time. I took one halter and lead and threw the rest outside the gate. I put the halter on my gelding and opened the gate to lead him out. They had other plans, though. All six came out as a freaking unit. They were literally chest to butt crammed together. My gelding and my Welsh mare had their chest pushing against me as we walked back to the brown barn. Normally, they did not do this. I wouldn't usually allow such bad behavior. We were on the main road, which I did not like. The speed limit is only 35, but people go 60. So, I tried to lead them through the large pasture gate. They wouldn't even go on that side of the road, though. I was a little unnerved by their behavior. So I lead them down to the brown barn, and they went in. They were skittish, though, picking at the hay I threw out, walking around restlessly, sticking to the barn-like glue, and eyeing the upper pasture. I rationalize it by thinking, it's the appy flipping out that's unnerving them. And why hadn't she come down yet? She had to have seen us all walk down. I rushed to the gate between the little and big pastures out of habit. I didn't want the herd to go back out into the big pasture. I didn't have to worry. They didn't follow me, like they usually did. The gate was wide open, but the appy was still running and squealing back and forth in the same area. I started to go get her. Now the neighbor's security lights didn't really light up my pasture. The road was higher than my pasture, so it was cast in a shadow. I could make out her shape in some detail, though. She took off at a panic gallop, swerved sideways, and jumped the stream. When she landed, she nearly landed on her face. She caught herself, though, and took off at a dead gallop again. I ducked behind a stump. If she would have hit me, I would have been dead. I went back and chained the gate. I decided to forego looking her over until I got the halters and leads. She was too hot at the moment. I decided to walk on the road instead of through the pasture again. The pasture was uneven, unlit, and full of springs. Sometime during this, clouds had taken over the sky, so there was no moonlight to see by. The spot on the road where I was at was paved and pretty well lit, though my neighbor was paranoid as mentioned. I had almost gotten to the white barn when I got this sudden urge to stop and look at a very specific spot in the pasture. I would like to say it was instinct that told me to look, but usually I'd scan the woods first to see what was watching me. That's usually where the watchers are. Instead, I just flicked on my flashlight, right on a certain spot. It was extremely close to where the mar was flipping out. I saw red eyes shine. My first thought was, why in the world would a deer be there, with all that chase? I was feeling a sense of extreme dread and didn't know why. 
Besides, it being where my horse was going nuts told me something else just wasn't right. I then realized where the eyes were relative to the walnut trees and my racing barrels. See, the road is above the pasture and the walnut trees were right at the same elevation as the road. The pasture itself is sloped to deal with the runoff from the road. The barrel it was next to was on the low end of the incline. The barrels were white so I could see a dim lighting from my flashlight on the one it was next to. This thing was too freaking big to be a deer. I was frozen standing there watching it. I just had this feeling it was evil and that I had to keep track of those eyes. It was watching me. It slowly blinked a few times. It also looked over into the woods above the pasture. I know you ask your guests if they ever feel there are other ones out there. Well, let me tell you, it crossed my mind. With a sinking stomach, I flashed my flashlight over the woods to see if I would catch eye shine. I didn't see any, though. So I went right back to the eyes. They were still there. I flicked back and forth, making sure nothing was sneaking up on me. I don't know how long I stood there watching, frozen. Someone could have come around the bend and hit me with their car. I was so focused. Finally, it started to move off. It glanced at me sideways a few times, only one eye. I think it went into the copse of trees around the creek. I heard nothing. That wasn't surprising, though. The horses were still restless and making noises. I stood there a long time after, looking for eye shine. I was wondering if it could have been a bear. I didn't think so, though. The eyes were consistent in height until it disappeared. Bears are clumsy on their back legs. On this uneven inclined ground, I have no doubt a bear would have dropped to the ground to go on all fours. Even the rear up and drop down behavior bears do when they're trying to see something wouldn't work. We had one cross our pasture before. He made a lot of noise going through the woods. The horses settled down quicker with a bear. I was almost to my neighbors at this point. I considered leaving the couple hundred dollars of tack at his house. Halters and leads aren't cheap. I had no doubt if I left them there, they'd be gone in the morning. My mother would be pissed, so I darted over, grabbed them, and ran like a bat out of hell. I know, I know. I should have left the tack. I also know, you're not supposed to run, but I couldn't even conceive what I'd just seen. I got into the barn, threw the tack down, and hung with the horses. I wasn't going to go back up that pitch-black driveway on foot. I figured with the horses, I'd have a warning, and the barn had plenty of sharp things. I didn't go back up until dawn. I was frozen stiff by that time. I've had years to think this over. It unnerves the crap out of me. How long was that thing there? Was that what was keeping the Epi mare from coming down? Was it right there in the shadows while I was trying to catch her? Or was it in the unlit barn I walked through to get to the road? Was it the reason the Epi swerved and nearly fell? How did my horses get out? I never did find how they got out. Did they panic and jump the fence? I did check the fence line away from the woods. I did look for tracks around the barrel. Sadly, the ground was hard from frost that morning. But I will say the Epi mare was running for a good while. The ground was severely torn up and turned into a muddy mess. It was high noon when I went down there to check and the ground had melted. I'll bet it was her that woke the neighbor up. 
It took them about a week to fully settle. I don't know if whatever it was was still in the area, or if they were that traumatized. It wasn't too long after that my mother filed for divorce. My ex-stepfather got the farm, and I moved in with her in the city. Even with all of the weird crap going on there, there were non-bipedal things going on too. I miss it terribly. Maybe it's more accurate to say I miss the farm life rather than the actual place. I'd love to get back onto a farm again, but I'd probably hesitate to move back there. I never told anyone about the eye shine event. I didn't see the actual creature, and really, how do you convey that unnatural horror-inducing feeling? You saw eye shine. Whoop, dee, doo. My mother would have given me the benefit of the doubt, but my mother often told family members things. They made my life enough of a living hell. I didn't want to give them more ammo. I was a government worker sent by the U.S. administration to Yosemite National Park to conduct some classified experiments for the Secret Service. My job was to gather data on the park's wildlife and ecosystem, but little did I know that my mission would turn into a living nightmare. While out in the deep woods, I encountered an unknown predator, unlike anything I had ever seen before. It was massive, with razor-sharp claws and teeth, and moved with an unnatural speed and agility. Its eyes glowed with a fierce intensity, and I knew in my gut that it was not a natural creature. As I tried to flee, the creature attacked me with a ferocity that was beyond comprehension. I fought back with all my might, but it was no use. I was no match for this beast. Just as I thought my life was about to end, a group of scientists appeared out of nowhere and saved me from the creature's clutches. They explained to me that they had been conducting their own secret experiments in the park and had created the unknown predator as a weapon for the U.S. government. I was horrified. This creature was the result of classified experiments that had gone too far, and it was now loose in the park, putting innocent lives in danger. I knew I had to act fast to put an end to the madness. I teamed up with a group of like-minded individuals, and together we embarked on a dangerous mission to stop the scientists and put an end to the experiments once and for all. The ensuing conflict was intense, and we were up against some of the most brilliant minds in the world. But we persevered, and eventually we were able to destroy the unknown predator and leak the truth about the experiments to the public. The fallout was immense, and the U.S. government was forced to take responsibility for their actions. The park was closed for months, and investigations were launched into the secret experiments that had taken place. Although I was hailed as a hero for my role in stopping the madness, I couldn't help but feel a sense of dread at the thought of what other classified experiments might be taking place behind closed doors. I vowed to stay vigilant and to fight for the truth, no matter the cost. Despite the victory, the experience had left me scarred for life. The memory of the unknown predator and the horrors that I had witnessed in Yosemite National Park haunted me and I struggled to sleep at night. To make matters worse, I soon discovered that the scientists who had created the Predator had managed to escape justice and were still at large. They'd gone into hiding, and no one knew where they were or what they were planning next. 
the possibility of another unknown predator being created and unleashed on the world was too much to bear, and I knew that I had to do something about it. I used my connections within the government to launch a full-scale investigation, and we were eventually able to track down the scientists and bring them to justice. But even with the scientists behind bars, I knew that the threat of more classified experiments still loomed. The government's insatiable desire for power and control had led them down a dangerous path, and it was up to me and those like me to keep them in check. From that day forward, I dedicated my life to exposing government secrets and fighting for transparency and accountability. It was a thankless job, and one that put me in constant danger, but it was the only way to ensure that the horrors of Yosemite National Park would never be repeated. And as I looked out at the majestic beauty of the park, I knew that I would never forget the lessons that I had learned there. The wilderness was a place of both beauty and terror, and it was up to us to protect it, no matter the cost.